0: So forage quality is going to be a big factor. Um, and usually, you know, by now, we're, let's say end of September, early October, most of our forage crops are already put up for the year. And we're getting analysis done on those to see what our quality is looking like. Um, but one of the big things to think about is saving those high quality alfalfa based or legume based uh, forage crops For later in the season, you know, that calving time frame versus feeding them now during times when the requirements are at their lowest for those cows um, can really help prolong feeding uh, those lower quality forages and help save some of that high quality forage crop for later on. And then um, hopefully the better nutrition we see, the better calf crop we're going to see, healthier calves, a little bit better calf vigor, things like that as, as those calves continue to drop.
1: A whole new era of communication in the feed mill industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds in the global feed mill industry right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to a feed mill, to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Ivonic Animal Nutrition, we are sciencing the Global Food Challenge. Welcome to the Feed Science Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting edge insights and all that's working in the global feed mill industry. Ivonic Animal Nutrition is committed to ensure food security and safety while reducing the ecological footprint of animal farming. Its products and services use evidence-based solutions that seek to promote animal welfare and reduce reliance on natural resources. All this is underpinned by long-standing industry partnerships and deep customer understanding. Ivonic's focus on efficiency, sustainable healthy nutrition, and collaborations with livestock farming partners creates
2: value for customers and consumers. welcome to the feed science podcast uh, I'm the host Ron hollenbeck our guest today is dr Megan van Emmon uh, from Montana State University uh, welcome Megan
0: well thanks for having me
2: uh, if you would please give uh, you know some some background uh, your work history what uh, and and review what you want to talk about today
0: Oh, well, that's that's kind of a a long question there. But um, so I originally grew up in northeast Indiana, um, real small farm out in the country and, you know, did the 4-H thing for 10 years and beef, cattle, sheep, goats, rabbits, (laughs) I guess, what have you. um, And then uh, went to Purdue uh, thinking I would want to be a veterinarian and discovered some research um, in my undergraduate field and Decided uh, veterinary school was not for me and went to graduate school for ruminant nutrition. uh, Worked primarily with sheep and cattle, and then moved to um, North Dakota State University to do my doctorate in ruminant nutrition again with sheep and cattle. And did about a year and a half at Iowa State University as a postdoc, working with feedlot nutrition and mineral nutrition. And then this job came available here in uh, Montana in Miles City at a research center and decided that was kind of where I wanted to go and uh, became an extension beef cattle specialist in 2014 here. And I guess maybe still going strong, you know, some days more than others, but uh, we're still here and enjoying it and definitely uh, liking the research center uh, lifestyle and, and research.
2: Good. Thank you. I believe when we talked earlier, uh, the few of the topics we wanted to to cover today, uh, starting out with uh, fall cattle nutrition, and then moving into uh, you know preparing for calving. So, if you kick us off on what we need to to know about those topics.
0: Well um I guess it kind of depends we talked a little earlier um Ron about I mean you guys were in a drought for most of the summer luckily uh here in Montana we most of our areas have kind of recovered a little bit from our last two years of drought um and so, fall nutrition becomes a little bit more important, I think, um, as we're preparing for the winter. And um, unfortunately, I guess it just kind of depends on which weather pattern you want to read on how the winter's going to go for us. Uh, you know, I've heard anywhere from we're supposed to be really mild, you know, a little bit warmer, less snow, to it's going to be extremely cold and and really snowy, so um Fall nutrition can play a pretty big role in that and getting your calves, uh, weaned, but also getting your cows ready to go for those winter months and hopefully getting ready for calving season again next year. So that's, that's the big question is what's the winter going to do for us? And unfortunately, it's one of those you, you don't look too far out in the forecast and everything, you know, maybe a week out and hopefully you're, you're seeing some good temperatures, but, um, we're always preparing for some of the worst
2: winters we can see up here. So what have you seen or, or heard from the different areas of how uh, the weather patterns have impacted forages and and, and foodstuffs for the for the cattle
0: um, yeah so you know the, I would say we'll start with the previous couple of years you know severe drought here in most of the western US was was in some record setting drought and um, we actually shipped a lot of cattle to the Midwest from here Um in hopes that we could put them on some corn stalks in the fall and graze through the winter down there and then bring them home. Well, unfortunately, that's not really an option um, for some of those producers um, as we as that drought lengthened up here. And um, unfortunately, that, that option actually, if you have to do that, is is kind of dwindling for the Midwest folks right now because, you know, Nebraska, severe drought, they aren't going to have a huge um, crop to come to send those cattle to anymore. So um, they're going to be hurting just like we were. And and so it becomes incredibly important for those harvested forages that you're going to have to start feeding Um earlier in the season than we normally would you know we hope to keep prolonged grazing going through the winter months but um, as I'm sure you guys know too you know snowfall can really impact that grazing factor um, out on pasture even in some of those uh, corn residues and and things like that so um, I guess I just kind of like to to hope that we're going to have a better winter and and we're going to be able to stockpile some forage this year and and be able to keep those cows grazing a little bit longer, at least up in our area. Um, but in the Midwest, unfortunately, I think we're going to have to start seeing some some increased harvested forages being fed earlier in the season
2: just based on the drought. Have you you seen or heard of you know any issues with with the hay crop in in different parts of the? the country and how that, uh, how that may impact uh, the cattle throughout the winter months.
0: Yeah, and then, you know, if we, it depends on where you were, you know, in the Midwest months, I know their forage crop was down, um, hay crop specifically, so they're they're seeing some some issues there, and and we're probably going to see some lower yields on some of that harvested um, grains and things like that from from the drought up here. You know, I, I honestly, I I don't want to complain based on how our drought was the last couple of years. We've had a pretty good moisture year up here in Montana in a lot of parts and had a really good hay crop so hopefully we can help maybe repay some of the the benefits we received from the midwest the last couple of years with their hay being trucked up here and maybe we can we can help out and get some hay trucked down to to those folks that are suffering this year
2: Sure. yep uh so transitioning into into calving uh what uh, you know, with the forages and, and everything that are available. do you have any uh, any thoughts on how that may impact uh, next year's calving?
0: Yeah, so um, you know calving's one of those it's a huge stress event for those cows you know especially depending on on timing of calving season you know we're we're up here one of the the top seed stock states so we tend to calve January February time frame which seems kind of crazy when you look at some of our temperatures we were receiving at that time of year you know 20 30 even in some instances 40 below 0 and you got calves dropping on the ground so making sure those cows are getting adequate nutrition leading up to the calving season so that last oh 60 to 90 days before they start seeing some calves drop um, that's a good time to really make sure our nutrition's on point and and getting those cows in good condition to help go through that those winter months and keep in good body condition Um, so forage quality is going to be a big factor Um, and usually you know by now we're let's say end of September, early October, most of our forage crops are already put up for the year and we're getting analysis done on those to see what our quality is looking like. Um, But one of the big things to think about is saving those high quality alfalfa-based or legume-based forage crops for later in the season, you know, that calving timeframe versus feeding them now during times when the requirements are at their lowest for those cows um, can really help prolong feeding Um, those lower quality forages and help save some of that high quality forage crop for later on and then um, hopefully the better nutrition we see the better calf crop we're going to see healthier calves a little bit better calf vigor things like that as as those calves continue to drop and um, hopefully for those that are Thinking about calving, you know, earlier in the season, they've, they've got those high quality forage crops to help overcome some of the winter stress. And then um, for those that calve later in the in the springtime or le- it's maybe late winter, you know, March, April timeframe, the weather's usually better. But as we found out a couple years ago, we had a couple really late storms. Um Dropped a lot of heavy, wet snow, which I know you guys are used to. But um, if we get heavy, wet snow up here, it's it's pretty rare. And um, we saw some some death loss there with not only cattle, but our lamb crop and everything. So um, and it's really hard to fight Mother Nature on that side of things. You know, you're doing the best you can with just forage quality and quantity to be able to overcome some of those events.
2: Yeah, I mean, as we talked uh Uh, before uh, before joining the call here Uh, i'm not a uh, you know a big cattle guy so i mean something that you brought up that you're uh, basically doing winter calving up there what what are some of the reasons for you know why some people do spring calving fall calving and, and winter calving what's what's the advantages and disadvantages
0: Oh well, it's it's pretty unique to each situation. Um, I think you know those that are targeting that January, February, February timeframe are those seed stock guys, the purebred guys um, that are focusing on those bull sales and things like that, getting that bull crop. Um, for those that have a little bit later into the spring, um, I mean, even let's say like early summer and that May, June timeframe. Um, those a lot of times are our commercial guys that are focused more on weaning and getting a good weaned calf crop out. So I think it depends pretty much on the situation or the, the production system that they're in. But um, I know several producers after the the last few years have, have moved to a little bit later calving season on the commercial side of things just because um, reduced labor typically is, is a big thing, you know, as... As we're seeing, I guess, across all industries, you know, uh, lab, labor issues um, and just honestly, our, our aging agriculture community, too, you know, it's it's really hard to be out at midnight, two in the morning when it's 40 below bringing calves into a barn or even into just a shelter area. It takes a lot of labor um, to care for those cows and uh, that can be a huge um, challenge for those producers as as they're calving earlier in the year and hitting those prime, I guess, winter, cold winter months.
2: Yeah. uh, Most of my experience is going to be on the swine and poultry side. And I know, uh, You know, with with pigs anyway, uh, consumption rates and everything drop off in the heat of the summer. I'm assuming it's similar uh, for cattle. And is that, you know, maybe one of the reasons for choosing, uh, you know, the the, the time of year for calving?
0: Yeah, that can be a factor. we we definitely can see some issues uh with with the later calving season you know you're pushing breeding season into july august time frame obviously very hot months you know if and if we think about let's say the midwest or um even the the deep south you know southeast there um hot humid months can really have a negative impact on those conception rates um up here you know we've we've got several producers and you you tend to just do your best during those months, and I I always kind of laugh because, you know, like I said, I'm from Indiana, so I understand what humidity is and um, the heat, and, you know, and the heat index and everything, and up here, you know, we're, we'll stand outside at 100 degrees, um, but it's 10% humidity, and you're kind of going, oh, it's not really that bad out here, <laughs> so, but that's not saying it's not bad for the, for the cattle either, but um, we tend to see, um, a little bit more, maybe some sheltered areas, you know, tree cover, things like that that can really help um, mitigate some of those heat stress factors that, that we might be seeing. Um, luckily, here in Montana, the wind never doesn't blow. So, um, you know, if we get a 5, 10 mile an hour uh, wind on a, on a day during the summer, it's pretty pleasant out there and um, can really keep some air movement going. So that can really help. But also selecting Bulls and cows that breed during that time frame um, can really help your operation. Um, most of those cows that may not breed during those hot summer months probably have sorted themselves out of the herd you know light calves or late breads things like that so we're making those selections based on that that calf crop or Um, whatever our goals are for the operation and so we tend to select for those animals that that can breed during that time of year as well
2: sure yeah makes sense is there anything else that uh, uh, that you'd like to talk about or or share with the with the audience today
0: oh goodness that's that's a difficult question I always I always think like I think we should add a lot more and then I can never come up with anything either to to, to, to add to it. But, um, you know, I, I think one of the big things that maybe I didn't I forgot to discuss when we're talking about fall nutrition is um, doing a feed inventory um, of your forages, um, any sort of feed that you're going to provide those cows so you know exactly how much you have so you know how many cows you can feed and how long you can feed them through the through the fall, but also into the winter months. Um, that can be really uh crucial as we're considering maybe you have to buy some extra hay. Um luckily at least here hay prices have come down a little bit uh compared to the last few years during the drought. So um it is a little bit more economical to buy the hay uh, but also um, not the most economical if you're looking to grow your herd right now based on cattle prices. I mean, I'm not saying it's not great that we're seeing these nice cattle prices f- for our producers. Um, but as you're thinking about selling your calves, but then trying to maybe pick up a few cows or some heifers on the side can really um, impact that bottom line. So uh, just trying to decide how to, how best to be economical and um Keep your herd going, but also maintaining your production standards and things like that can be can be crucial. So, monitoring those inventory resources can really help you make some some
2: feeding decisions too.
1: It's time for our famous
2: three. We always uh, try to to end these podcasts with a few questions. Uh, what uh, what would be your favorite? uh, you know, feed science or resource book that, uh, that you always go to for, for information?
0: Oh, wow. Um, you know, as I would, I would say uh, there's a couple as, as a researcher and scientist, I, I often go to our nutrient requirements of beef cattle. Um, you know, that's kind of the, the end all be all, um, gospel for for the the industry but um i really do look at um it's oklahoma state's beef cattle handbook um i think it puts everything on a really well discussed um producer level you know it provides the the knowledge that that i need as well as producers and it's very well understood and and very well written um so i tend to to look at that quite a bit um it puts everything on I You know, we all talk about uh, metric, the metric system for, for the science side of things. And then we're trying to convert everything to pounds for producers and because we feed everything on pounds. So um, I like that handbook just because it puts everything on a producer level and, and helps um, put everything on pounds and, and just what is needed. So that's those are probably my two big go to books that I, I look at um, when I'm thinking beef cattle uh,
2: production sure good now here's a, a wide open question oh goodness <laughs> uh, you know, outside of, of agriculture what uh you know what's your your go-to resource of uh, you know a book or or anything that uh has you know impacted you or motivated you uh in the past
0: oh wow um that is uh that's a wide open question. Um
2: I should have prepped you for that, but.
0: <laughs> um, probably the uh, most recent. Um, so I'm located here at, at USDA Fort Keogh in Miles City. And, and we try to do a book club in the winter times, you know, on leadership and things. Um, probably the most recent that I that I guess was a really good read for me was was a book called Extreme Ownership. Um, it's. Oh, Jocko Willinick, I, I think that's his last name. Um, but I, I felt like that was a really good book at developing leadership skills, um, as well as not only leading from the top down, from the bottom up as, as well. And it, and it really just resonated with me. So I, if you haven't read the book, I, ex- I really recommend that book. Um, they have another one out and I just haven't been able to get to it yet. Um, there's two, it's, it's two authors and, but they're, um, I believe ex Navy SEALs. So, um, and they talk a lot about their experiences and how to, um, better interact with everyone around you and in, in your, in your not only management group, but just your colleagues and, in in a professional way as well. So I, I really enjoyed that book.
2: Good. Thank you. Uh, Last question. In your opinion, uh in you know the agriculture sector, cattle, uh cattle sector, what sets people apart uh, those who are successful versus those who are less successful? What traits or, or whatever uh whatever comes to mind?
0: Ooh, um another 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 doozy here. Um you know it's it's it might sound a little weird, but those that accept change—I guess you know—it's we're an ever-changing um, population, economy, everything—and those that are a little bit, maybe um, a little more progressive in their in their thinking. Um, on the terms of, let's say, technology use is is kind of where I'm going with that. And and it doesn't even have to be GPS collars um, and those types of fancy things or the virtual fencing that, but technology use is in like keeping accurate records um, and that could be through a phone app, you know, Excel spreadsheet, things like that. Um, I think can be, a I think maybe have that little bit of an edge over those that may not keep records i've ran into several producers you know when you start talking with them about their operation and management and um the the number that don't keep records or don't write down calving dates or calving issues things like that um or even preg checking those cows um, is actually a lot more than i ever thought it would be And, um, I think sometimes just thinking a little, you know, spending that little bit of extra money might be able to help out some of those producers that, that maybe haven't quite accepted some of that technology. We talk, you know, no, you don't have to go space age or anything, but just keeping up with, with the times as, as things keep moving forward. And we just seem to keep moving quicker and quicker to the next newer and better technology thing. So, um, I'm not saying that it, every it, it needs to be every operation, but um, the technology and then just some of the basic record keeping skills, I think, is are two of the factors that really set some of some producers above or more productive or um, increased revenue, however you want to say that, than some of the other producers.
2: Do you see correlation in? You know, those producers who maybe don't keep as good a records as others from, you know, when smaller producers maybe be less likely to keep uh, those records versus larger producers or does it, is there a correlation at all?
0: You know, I th- I'm going to give you a classic extension answer. It depends, I think, on the goals. You know, um, I know several large producers, you know, especially on the seed stock side of things, very, very accurate records. You know, they're, they're really good at record keeping and embracing the new technology and utilizing some of these programs. But I've also seen small, you know, under 50 head producers, do the exact same thing because they're trying they always want to make their operation better um, so I don't know that there's an exact correlation there I think it I think it has to do um, sometimes with the generation that is running the ranch or operating the herd um, and sometimes it doesn't I mean I've seen um, younger folks you know uh, be less adaptable, to technology than some of our older generation is um so it's kind of this wide range of of folks that um accepts or doesn't accept some of the some of the change that has been coming so it's been it's been kind of interesting and and i guess thinking about where where i am in my age you know having grown up without technology and with technology um it's it's interesting to see who will accept that that technology change and and try and get you know the newer and better things, but um, I don't know that there's a direct correlation between small and large uh, producers there.
2: Well, and given my age, I can certainly relate to uh, well, When I was in high school, we didn't even have computers, so uh, learned learned all of that after. Uh, after getting out into the real world, so to speak, so uh, I can certainly understand, uh, you know, hesitation. But uh, I would would agree that uh, you know, probably if you are going to be successful long term, whether uh, you know it's intimidating to implement some of those newer technologies, uh, it it pretty much needs to be done if you are going to be uh, successful into the future, and as uh, you know, the, the next generation takes over uh, these farms. I know I've seen it just in, from the row crop side of things. Uh, the uh, you know, next generation taking over the farm are uh, much more uh, open, interested, and, and really just uh, thirsting for uh, more technology that will, uh, will help their operation and help their efficiencies. Hmm.
0: Yeah, because that's one of those, you know, fortunate, maybe unfortunate things as, as we moved, if you're thinking about efficiency, um, you know, we are moving into a world that we're, we're agriculture is a shrinking population of folks just in agriculture, but also, you know, I'm thinking of the efficiency of our, cropping systems and our livestock production in general about how it has changed over the last 50, 60, 70 years, you know, and um, how we have less animals now, but are producing the same amount or more than we were. And that's just technology, not only, um, you know, cell phones, things like that, or, or GPS systems and tractors, but also just the improvement of the genetics and of all of the the agriculture systems you know the crops and and the livestock and and that is and it's it's a big change that we've seen in in such a small amount of time if you think about it as you know on the let's say the length of human evolution or however you want to say it um from you know the 1800s till now so Mm
2: -hmm. yep very true um well i really appreciate uh your time and sharing your your knowledge and expertise with uh, with the audience.
0: Well, thank you for having me, and and hopefully you guys will see some nice weather, and we'll uh, hopefully hopefully for, for the same here too. So,
2: <laughs> yep, yep. Hopefully, uh, not a terrible winter anywhere. So, <laughs> okay, great. Thank you very much, Megan. Thank you.